So Luke chapter 9, verse 37. And um, as we go through, it, 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 it's always, uh, you know, interesting. You kind of look at things, and, and the, the subject, I guess, or, or if the title would be, Belief Help With My Unbelief. You know, and so we had Jesus. He was up on the mountaintop. His appearance changes. Moses and Elijah appear with him there. Mount of Transfiguration, you have Peter and them there, and they're just totally blown away at this. And they're, they're this mountaintop experience, literally a mountaintop experience. And now as they're coming down, this is where we kind of pick up this morning, as they're returning back down to... Uh, the valley where the multitudes are and and I'm curious you know after you see that and this experience and God you know correcting you know this is my son just listen to him you know I don't know when you're coming back from the mountaintop I know men's retreats were talking all this was cool and what God's showing I wonder if the three were talking and Jesus was ahead or or was it a silent you know like ride home because Jesus still there and you know, you can't wait to tell the others what you saw, but they, they, they kept it quiet. The scripture says they were quiet about it. To the others, they didn't, you know, and maybe he warned them. But they're headed back down, and, and the other disciples left behind were here dealing with this situation. We pick it up in Luke chapter 9, verse 37, and it says, Now when it happened on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, that a great multitude met him, and suddenly a man from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. So, (laughs) excuse me, allergies have been rough. So he comes down, they're heading back down, and right away there's already a large crowd. There's a father there crying out and and really trying to get his attention. And it says, hey, look upon my son. Just just pay attention to my son here. He already knows kind of God's heart. Just, Just look at my son and you'll see what's going on. You'll have a heart for him. And he's his only child, which, you know, in that culture is a huge thing. It's, you know, it's, it's it, you're whole wrapped up. You're consumed in it. Um, your livelihood, your hopes, all in one child. You know, children were, were um, you know, your future. We're very much uh, uh, your future and, and what was valued in many ways, your name, who you were, all those things were, were so placed in your children. And here this man has one child, and we've seen this happen before with the, the one child that was raised from the dead of the widow woman, the one daughter of the, the leader of the Sanhedrin, and, and this compassion. And so he goes, here, this is my only child, you know, kind of putting these reasonings out. And in this account, in Mark, we kind of have a little more backstory that kind of helps this. Um, as he came down, the scribes and his disciples are arguing. They're fighting. They're, they're having it out again. You know, there's this argument going on, and Jesus goes, what's going on? You know, and, and what happens is that we get the story of, hey, they're fighting over what, what we should do in this situation because of this man's child because they weren't able to cast him out. And as we continue in verse 39, it says, And behold, a spirit seized him and suddenly cries out and convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with a great difficulty in bruising him. You know, and so you have this child is going through this very physically thing. Um, in both descriptions, we would say, man, this looks like somebody who has epilepsy these days, you know, the, the, the signs and when this happens. But Jesus, we'll see very clearly, knows, and the man knows there's also something else here besides a physical element and a disease, that there is an unclean spirit. And so this man is crying out for his children, and, and in the background you have the disciples that were down there, not on the mountaintop experience, right? You're, you're there, you're left home, and, and you get back, and, and it's a chaos. I don't know about you guys, men, when you come home from a men's retreat, is your wife like, oh, it was so great just hanging out with the kids home without you here? No, Satan just like goes at it. All oh, your kids are Satan-filled, and you know, I just need a break now. You've had all this week, and deal with them. I mean... Not that Heidi's ever done that. But, you know, um, it just seems like the attack comes when you're gone, right? And so Jesus is up in there and heals. This attack's going on. His disciples are now run into a situation where they're there. Verse 40, it says, I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't. And you think, okay, Jesus sent them out with power. They've done these things before, right? And now they're there, and Jesus isn't there, and they're running into this difficulty and right away, the Jewish leaders, the scribes and Pharisees are right there going, well, you know, the way we do it, you know, I don't know about you guys, maybe. You know, and, and you think of this poor father, right? You think your, your, your child's in this situation. 
your hopes of him growing up and teaching him things, all those are dashed. Now, he, he is, he, you're just to keep him alive, to be with him, to care for him, and all those things. And here you have this hope. There's the Savior. There's the guy that's doing stuff. And you, you go, and you get there, and all you get is an argument. I mean, can you imagine you have a child with an illness, and you care about them, and you're worried for their life, and you show up, and you get there, and the doctors are, like, not knowing what to do in arguing? Imagine, like, they're starting ready to throw fists at each other. No, you do it this way. I mean, that'd be so disheartening. You're like, this is where it's the hope. You guys are supposed to be the best. You're supposed to save my child, and you're fighting. This isn't good for him, right? And I, I kind of want to point that out because, because it, it, you know, as it, as it goes on here, we could, we could be a little, I guess, harsh on this guy, right, as it goes through. And um, so... He's going through this, and so you have the scribes there, and they're fighting, you know, and this poor man, and then, and this one is a little more clear, but still very, very like, wow, you know, is verse 41, it says, and then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bury with you? Bring your son here. Whoa, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I was going through this and going, okay, sometimes you want to go, I mean, my loving Savior, this is harsh. I, this is just, wow. It's kind of like harsh, but totally, sadly, true, right? It's like, how, how do you receive that? And, and, and so when we see it in Scripture here, and this is what I love about the Word of God, okay, so was it directed just at the Father or not at the Father at all? No, it was directed to the Father of this child. But I mean, here he's sitting there in this situation, you have these people arguing, I don't really blame him, you know, in that sense. We'll see, see in the, the account in Mark, Mark a little of that. And then, but at the same time, is his own disciples, like here, I'm, just because I'm not with you, suddenly you guys don't have faith enough to do this? In the, in the account in Mark, it says, hey, this time, you know, they'll ask him later, hey, why, why, why aren't we able to do anything here? He goes, well, it's fair and prayer and fasting. You know, it takes a little more there, or a little more focus in that sense. And, and so... You see this, but then also, knowing that the scribes are there, that helps it a little, right? We can go, oh, we don't like the scribes. Yeah, this was directed at the, you know. Jesus wasn't talking to all of us guys. He was just talking to the Pharisees and scribes. That, you people, little faith, you're supposed to, you know, that's, that, that takes a conviction off me. So we'll just go with that one. No, he, he's speaking to us all. And, 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 and many times, um, it's true in our life. Faithless and perverse. Perverse is... Um, you kind of you can kind of imagine how bad that word is, but but it's it's simply like imagine, um, man, you know, I, I see Zach back and hanging out with his brothers and their brothers. I don't know. You ever get around your brothers? You just start doing mean things to each other for fun to show you love each other. You know, my brothers. You know, you go to a restaurant. You had to watch your drink. You couldn't get up and leave the table from your drink because you'd end up with salt or pepper in your drink. It'd be perversed, right? You go back to drink your Pepsi or Coke or whatever. Ah, you know, it'd be perverse. You know, and and that was the nice things they might put in your drink. You know, at least you knew you were drinking it. You know, there, there's those type of things. You know, perverse. And, and God's saying he he's. He, he's distraught. It bothers him. He's like, man, you, you know, I wish you guys would get it. And it's not out of an anger or a hatred or, or a vengeance or, or venting in that sense, I don't believe. But when you see somebody struggling through something and it was like, I just I wish you would get, just wish you would get it. You know, you ever see somebody struggle with addiction and you see how God delivers people and you watch that person struggling, you go, I wish you just would trust why couldn't you just trust God? It's a heartbreaking for that situation. It's burdensome to see somebody struggle through stuff. See your kids struggle through things. You know, as your kids go from teenagers and then they start to have their own house and there's things where it's like, okay, you can't, you know, always correct them or something. You're going to see them struggle through things. Finances, the beginning of a marriage and those, those things. And you see people struggle through or people you care about. And you're like, ah, I just wish you would just pay attention, just listen. You know, and I, I really believe that's God's heart. And at the same time, I, I really think we kind of fall short. I mean, if you wanted to look at this new year and, and kind of look back on the previous year and, and do some reflection, I, I can never go, you know, my, oh, I wish I didn't do this. It's never serving God. All the times I've sacrificed and served God, I, I haven't had a problem with. There's even been times, I, I think there's maybe a, well, for my own um, pride's sake, I won't tell you which ones. But there are only times I can think of where I 
went to do something and serve God, it was because it was in my own strength and my own ideal, and I should have prayed about it more first. It's the only time I've regret serving the Lord, which really wasn't serving him. It was doing what Tim thought would be a good way of helping people or something. You know, not slowing down, being patient, waiting for the Lord for turn and lead. But in all those situations, all the times we've been able to serve or help people out, I've never regretted that. There's, there's things that I've maybe bought or spent time trying to clean up. or so. There's a lot of other regrets I have, but never when I have trusted God's word and believed him have I ever have a regret. We're looking back in the new year going, ah. And so if I was to say something, God, help me to obey and believe you more this year. You know, help me to go that, you know, I, I need to do that more and more often. You know, as you look at those things. And so it's amazing to see when we look at the word of God and, and we let it work through our lives. And so in verse 42, it continues and, and it says, and so he was still coming. And when, so he says, hey, at the last part, remember, bring your child to me. So as he was still coming, the demon threw him down, convulsed him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and gave him back to his father. So as he's coming, this, this demon, you know, it's there and it, it doesn't want to leave easily. It's fighting, you know, tooth and nail here. And it convulses and, and the scene arrives and Jesus just simply rebukes the unclean spirit and heals the boy. Two separate, clearly separate things. Okay, so not all diseases are from demon possession and not all demon possession cause diseases. You know, some people want to cast a demon of all these different things out. It's not always the case. You see both here. You see God healing people when they're just sick of diseases and healing them and just casting demons out of people at the same time. And so it's interesting, though, the fight that ensues, right? And, and sometimes it seems like, you know, it's amazing when um, you see somebody and they want to commit their life to God. I always, I always just, um, it's like, it's so unbelievable sometimes, you know, we'll help somebody out or, or something and they'll be like, hey, um, can I just, I'm going to go over to the corner store and, and grab, you know, a soda. And they're, you know, just coming off addiction and stuff and they're clean and they're fine. They go to the corner store, they're getting offered drugs for free. Any other day, if they weren't doing well, getting clean and willing to see God, the drugs aren't free. They, they, you know, it cost them greatly. But, you know, that day, since they're trying to get right with God, I mean, free drugs. I kind of joke around. I said, you know, if, 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 if you can't afford drugs, you just need to try to give your life to Christ. You know, get them for free that way. I mean, it, it's straight out insanity. I mean, it, it is. But that's where Satan kind of responds. And, and it's, you know, and, and some of that people, people get overwhelmed with, oh, man, I can't believe this happened. It looked like, yeah, well, if Satan's not happy, that's a good thing. If you're getting temptation and, you know, suddenly you, you choose to serve God and it seems like everything's keeping you from that, you know, God, I just need to be more patient with my children. And then your children seem to be more unruly than ever before. I wonder why. You know, you kind of look at those things and, and take it as maybe God's answering a prayer and doing something. Might be teaching you through fire. But, you know, you, you look at these things. And um, so we see this. And Jesus just simply rebukes the unclean spirit, heals this child, brings him back to full health. What an awesome, amazing thing. Gives him back to his father. The same account in Mark, um, Mark 9, verse 21, it says, And so he asked his father, so before he heals him, he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he was throwing him into both the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So you see this demon is, is, is there. This is more than a sickness. It's trying to destroy him. And many times when you see sin and you seek after that, that lust nature, your flesh, it is total destruction. Our flesh natures are, are there to destroy ourselves. There, there's nothing good in that. And, and I think sometimes... Um, I know definitely growing up, many times I've looked at my flesh nature and gone, you know, I'll just keep it happy. I'm just going to feed it a little. Instead of taking it serious, like, no, my flesh wants to kill me. It wants to destroy your life. 
You know, and you go, well, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm just doing this a little. I'm not really, I don't really have a problem with it. It's just a little issue in my life. I do it. It really doesn't hurt anybody. Nobody really knows. I know it's not socially acceptable, but no, you know. No, that little thing is going to grow and it's going to destroy your life. How many pastors have fallen into sin with women because it was just, you know, I was just hanging out talking to her, this or this, and it was just that little thing and just that little thing and that, just that little compromise and it totally destroys your life. And, and when you come to the conclusion that your flesh, your, your, your earthly nature is out to destroy you, it has no good intention. If there was somebody I said, hey, by the way, Ken, you know, there's a guy, he's hanging out in your closet in your house, and he's coming to destroy you. Ken's going to quietly walk over to his cabinet or wherever he keeps his gun and take care of the guy. It's going to not be any, he's not going to leave it there, you know. But many times in our lives, I've, I've done that, right? Like, oh, okay, you know, this temptation, I'm just going to keep a little of it right over there. You know, it's, it's not, I know he wants to kill me, but, you know, kind of like him. You know, it's, we're foolish. We play with things. We convince our things. And we don't believe the word of God. Do you believe that your flesh is going to kill? No, we don't. Why? Well, you know, I, I seem to have got away with it so far. You know, I know that, you know, the, the amazing thing is we, you, you sit there and you see people and they, you know, when you sit there and go, you can see this is bad, right? Yeah. And you can see where this leads. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've seen so many people fall into this trap and get destroyed by it. Yeah. But you know, it's like, I got it handled. Really? Yeah. You know, I know that happens to everybody else 100% of the time. But for me, I got it figured out. You know? And, and I, the reason I know these things is because I do the same things, you know? That's where um, um, it's a good reminder serving some people, serving some young people, and especially children. I mean... You sit there and go, man, I just, if you're older son, you just understand her daughter or, or, the, or another person even sometimes. You just understand what trap that is. And God goes, yeah, Tim, you're so wise. What about this thing? Ooh. I thought I was wise with that. I thought I could handle that. I thought, you know, that's not really having an influence. Watching that show, I know it has some stuff in it, but, you know. No, those things are traps. And they lay for us. And I love this man's response. As he's there... And Jesus brings out this example, and he's there, and he asks him, well, how long has this been happening? Man, it's going to destroy him. It's trying to kill him, trying to take him out. And immediately he goes, and he says, you know, if, if, you, if you can help us. She goes, if you can help us? Well, if you can believe. And the man's response immediately after he cries out, saying with tears, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I love that. I, I, I love even quoting that many times in my life because, yes, I believe, but Lord, help me with my unbelief. Because there's a lot of things that show up in my life that I don't unbelieve. I always joke around, you know, you know, people, people, oh, yeah, I do this and this and this. And I said, oh, yeah, you believe, yeah. So do you believe God's all-powerful? Yeah, 100%. You believe he created the world, loves you? Yeah, okay. I do until my city of Lodi utility bill comes. And suddenly, God's not big enough, I'm dead. No, you know, <laughs> sometimes those situations come up in life that test that, right? I believe, Lord, help me with my unbelief. You know, God, this next year, I believe in you. I know you can do these miraculous things. Help me with my unbelief. Help me in those areas I fail. Open the, the blindness to those things, those things I do not see. Now, help me to that sin. Let, let me believe and, and take a real look at sin. Not mess around with it. Realize it's out to destroy me. Realize if I entice that, it's going to grow. It can consume me and destroy me. And I've seen it so many times in so many men, so many situations. All these examples in Scripture where men are destroyed, godly men destroyed. Of course, you always see God's faithfulness, right? Still come back, still work with Him, still loving, still covering it. God, help me believe. In the account in Mark, Jesus counts this demon out and says, don't return. Don't return. And you kind of look at that and tells the demon not to come back. And it seems simple. I'm thinking, you know, but how many times do you return? It's like you've dealt with an issue, you have a victory over it, and then you return to it. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm an alcoholic and this and this and I drink, but you know, now I'm saved, I've been good for a couple of years, I can go hang out with people like that. No, don't. It's not worth the chance, not worth the risk. 
don't return. You know? And then, you know, his disciples asking, hey, why haven't you, why couldn't they count this out? And the market says, why couldn't we cast this demon out? What, what was the deal? What was the problem? And he says, this kind, you need to, you can't come out by that. You just got to, you got to come out by, but with prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. And many times, I wonder how many times we don't believe God in many things in our lives. When you sit down in your life, do you have joy and happiness? Do you believe God? And I'm not going to go all name it and claim it here, but do you? In a situation, because there's many times there's situations that go, do I believe God's calling me to this? Do I believe God's done this? And, and out of experience, I can tell you, sometimes it's hard to believe. But I would can encourage you to continue to pray and fast and do whatever it takes. Not until you believe, but until you get an answer. Pray, God help me, because I don't believe. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep bugging you until I answer. That answer might be harder than you like. Me and Heidi's had one with her health. Stop praying for healing. What? Lord, but you know, you've called us to do these things. You can't leave me sick and unable and all these things. And God, no, I don't want you to ask for that anymore. Okay, so we can't pray for lupus to be healed anymore. Okay, God, she has a pain in her arm right now, probably because of her lupus, but we just like the pain in her arm to be healed. We'll just go down, down the we'll symptom list right now. You know, sometimes, like, God, just give us the strength for today. He's chosen to leave that because he loves her, he loves us, and he has a good purpose in it to keep us close and draw us near. You know, uh, it, it's amazing to think, see, the miracle isn't that the way God's called us to serve, that he healed Heidi physically to be able to serve in that way. The miracle is that God leaves Heidi in that state and gives her the strength to still serve in that way. You know what I mean? I'll give you everything you need. I called you to do it, and it's definitely not in your strength. And it's amazing to see how God works through those things and the joy in that and, and, and just the testimony of those things. What is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to live? Do you believe he can do it? Well, yeah, Lord, I'll serve you in this area, but first you have to heal me and remove this from me. Well, keep praying about that, but he might tell you no and do it anyways. No, I'm not going to heal you that, but you should still obey me. It's not an excuse not to serve me. And many times I believe God works in that way. So pray and continue to pray until he tells you to stop. No, you're not allowed to pray about that anymore. We've gone over this, and, you know, sometimes he does that. Sometimes he heals. Sometimes it takes years, and then he heals people. But, you know, with us, I know in that situation, God said, okay, stop asking for this. And you just trust me with it. So we do. Verse 43, and it says, And they were all amazed at his maj the majesty of God. So the whole crowd sees this. He comes down from the hill, and they're all blown away. They're, this majesty, this king, they're seeing King Jesus. Not just the lion, not just this humble guy, but they're saying, wow, this guy definitely, he's the winner. He can be king. Look at, look at the authority he comes with. You have the disciples arguing with the scribes, and Jesus just shows up on the scene, right? Authority. Boom, you guys have no faith. Boom, heals him. Everybody's like, wow. I mean, this guy talks like he's in charge, like he's the son of God or something, you know? Amazing to see. And it says, but while everybody marveled at these things, which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they couldn't understand these sayings, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about these sayings. Now, it's interesting. So they've already been told this. Hey, the Son of Man's going to be betrayed. He's going to be buried. He's going to raise again in three days. The, the account we have in Mark gives more details. He gives of what's going to be happening to him. And so we know, hey, he's going to die. That had to be a shock. Then Jesus goes up to the mountain. You got Peter there and everything else, right? You're sitting there, and he's like, hey, let's just build tabernacles and hang out here. Go, this is good. That whole dying thing, we'll just take off the table. It's really clear you're the Messiah now. We got the winner, right? 
We're not, you know, we want to make sure we have the Messiah, the right guy. You're the winner. And dying doesn't sound like winning to us. And then we go back down the hill and everybody's like, yeah, look, look at this majesty. It's amazing. Look at the authority. Cool. We got another, yeah, definitely still the winner. And then Jesus calls them aside and go, hey, 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 you believe, right? You believe I can give you this life through, believe this kingdom of God's coming, you believe. Now let me explain to you what you're believing in. Let me just give you a reminder. I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. Wait, 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 wait. You know, and I think they were afraid to ask him. It wasn't they're afraid of him or afraid of anything. They didn't want to know the truth, right? Like, like let's just pretend he didn't say that, okay? He's Jesus. He's perfect. But maybe he just, you know, misspeaks once in a while. You know, like, I don't, no, 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 no. You know, you ever, you ever know bad news is coming you don't want to hear? And you're like, no, just don't, don't tell me. I don't want to know how bad it is. I don't want to know the say. I'm going to just pretend we didn't hear that. You know what I mean? I do it. I do. I, 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 can, I was trying to think of when, when are times I've done this. And, you know, there's probably some times I really didn't want to hear the truth of what's going on. But the, the time I really do is when I'm at, asleep at night and you get woken up by a child throwing up. And you go, no, Lord, I did not hear that. I did not hear that, Lord, and Heidi will hear it. No, <laughs> you know, I don't want to know the truth of what's going on upstairs. I want to sleep, you know. Kind of that situation. I'm afraid of what's going on upstairs. You know, sometimes your children, when they, you know, it, it's a beautiful thing when you can teach a child to take care of themselves and they can make it to the restroom without all over the living room when your kids hit that age and they can actually handle their own vomit and keep it contained is a beautiful thing. Um, we had taken in some other young kids that were no longer young kids that had never been trained in that. You don't realize you train your kids to do that. You know, it's, it's a really blessing when they, they can, you know, start feeling sick and they go grab their own bowl or whatever. But, you know, you don't want to hear some things sometimes. A little side trick, whatever. But um, you look at these things and you hear it and, and they don't want to hear it. You know, they just had this mountaintop experience. He's authority. This is, this is our God. This is the guy. We're going to rule and reign with him. I don't want to hear about any suffering and sacrifice. That's, that's, that's not what we're, we're picturing. They didn't get it. And many times we don't get it. I, I love what, um, I, uh, you know, listening to different guys, and one guy goes, ministry is done through crucifixion. Ministry is done through crucifixion. You believe God wants to use you. You believe you, you want to serve God. You want to believe in what he has for you. And that's done through sacrifice and suffering. Serving the Lord to where there is really done is through that example of sacrifice and suffering. It all comes back to the cross and the direction we're going. And that's where there's joy and happiness found. You know, and we see how much the disciples didn't get it in verse 47. Then a dispute among a or a dispute rose among them as to which one of them would be greatest. And Jesus perceived their thoughts of their heart and took a little child and set him by him and said to them, whoever receives my little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. Now it's amazing to see this they're sitting there, they're disputing. You can imagine the three. You got Peter, and they're there, and they come back down from the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And they're kind of keeping it quiet. And the other guys go, you know, I know you went up there with Jesus, but, you know, he, yeah, that was like the short bus, because you guys are always misbehaving. Peter goes, well, can't tell you everything we saw, but just trust me. You know, and Jesus, Jesus really, I have this knack for picking out, you know, the important things, you know. Or, you know, you can see these disputes, right? And how do you know who, how do they know which one's going to be the greatest in that sense? It's, it's, it's hilarious when you know who Jesus is, right? You do have the greatest, like, standing in front of you. But, you know, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be his, his, his vice president? Who's going to be the secretary of state? You know, in his kingdom, who's going to, how are we going to sit, you know, and get positioned in this, you know? And, you know, and, you know, it's interesting to see how their, their thoughts are in that process. And, and maybe it wasn't even started out as a serious conversation. Maybe it was just joking around. You know, you know just to say, guys, you know, he did compliment me on that one. Ha, 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 you know. And laughing back and forth or, or in that sense, 
But their hearts were there. They, they were looking at these things. They're looking at the worldly things of how, how, who's going to be greatest. And it's not wrong to desire to be great. You know, every man out there desires to accomplish something, to leave a mark, to be great. You see it all the way through history and pyramids and all these things. So the desire isn't wrong. They just didn't understand the process of what it is to be great. The desire isn't wrong. The pursuit of it is wrong. The desire is awesome and godly, but what's happened, now we're in a fallen state, and what we think is great, we don't understand is. And so Jesus brings this little child up here to give him this example and says, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And to receive, I mean, are you talking to receive like a king would somebody to come in, an audience? You know what I mean? Would, would you, you know, children at this day didn't have much value in the sense of authority. You would not, just like today, you would not go up to an eight-year-old, well, maybe not today. You should not go up to an eight-year-old and ask for his opinion on things, you know. You're not going to go up to a, a child. I know some parents now, they, you know, they're, what do you want to do, honey? You know, this and this. Okay, we'll sell the car and buy a new one or whatever. You know, who should we vote for for president? Well, you like that guy? Okay. No, you, you don't consider the little children. They don't have any knowledge in those things. They, they don't understand. And, and very much, if you were somebody important and a king or something, you're not going to sit there and entertain and receive a child. You receive dignitaries. You receive important people. You're going to spend time with people that matter, have an opinion, have an effect. You know, it, it, it always uh, is interesting. Um, you know, pastors are, are, are sinners, so you know. And sometimes we get together at pastor's things or you end up talking with pastors, and, and, it, and it, I don't... I know we all fight the urge, but everybody usually, oh, super, oh, you know, how, how's that going? That's code for how big's your fellowship? I mean, <laughs> how many people are there this or that? And, and I don't get into to those kind of numbers. I get into percentages. Here, it was like, yeah, probably like 99% of my fellowship serving in the body somewhere. They're like, really, most everybody here is like dead on, you know. How many, how, what percentage of people in your church do you even think saved? No, I mean... <laughs> We just talked percentage, just like I said. You know, God, everybody sold out my church pretty well. I don't, I don't know of anybody that isn't. I know everybody's first and last name. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I really want to, I don't want to mock them, but I've thought of ways of like trying to just, you know, it's like, oh, so you serve there. How's it going? Well, so far, my wife, my three kids, and the one person that shows up loves it. And just leave it there and walk away, you know? <laughs> that could be mean, right? But you, you just look at these things and, and this competition and, and that stuff, and but again, it, it isn't measured in that. It, it amazes me when you look at some of these great titans. I was talking there with a friend about a show that was on. I watched it. It was The Men That Built America. And you had the oil titans and the train guy and all this and kerosene and shipping and pipelines. And they built all these things. And they got, after they got all this money later in their life, they, they ended up, uh, what do they call it, philanthropist. You know, then it was a race to see who could help human beings the most and, and build cathedrals and opera houses in San Francisco. All the things they did, you know, because, you know, it went from the money you had, they realized that wasn't important. But then it was how much you could give away. You know, and you know how much effect you had on it, how much money you could share. And there, you know, one famous guy's like, you know, how, you know, they asked him how much his worth was, and he he named a, a dollar amount, and that dollar amount is how much he had given away, because what he realized what he had was didn't make him of any value. It was only what he could share. And, and very much, Jesus has this little child there, of no no ultimate value in that sense in their society no there, there's no advantage to having a child there if anything a child needs a lot the child has more needs you know um i always get a kick at you know you 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 look at you go to you know pastors conferences or things and you look oh that guy has a big church or this or that and and, and really we should look down and you look like wow well you know in this example I mean, I almost see the 12, can you imagine the 12 are sitting here and he says that and, and like Peter reaches over and steals an infant from a lady. Look, I got a baby. See, I'm the greatest. I mean, I see him fighting for a child. Give me a kid. You know, as Jesus is sharing, you know. 
Look, I got a child. I'm receiving you, Lord. I mean, it's kind of funny in that sense when you look at, at, at the thing, but the reality is when you receive a little child in my name, when you're simply serving those who have no benefit to you, there's no, there isn't going to be a return in that sense. The child offers you nothing, has, has no value in that sense, and you receive them and you, you care for them. You know, you, you look at a mother, and sadly, it's been put down so much, you know, a mom just being a mother in a, in a family and in a life. But as she pours her life out for her children, Paul said his life was being poured out as an offering for the church. His, his energy, his effort, his time, his time here as he got older, his life was being poured out as an offering to the church for God's people. A mother pours her life out for her children. She lays aside her youth and her energy and serves her children. And so, you know, next time, you know, you want to talk to somebody that's got some clout, whoever's the greatest, don't go looking for the senior pastor of whatever big fellowship. Go looking for the youth pastor, the children's ministry servant, Dave hanging out over there. You know, I love it. Chuck Smith, there was this thing, and I've probably shared it before. There's this room, and it was, it was called, I think, a show called The Elephant Room. And you have all these pastors in there, big fellowships, and they had Chuck Smith in there. <coughs> and at the end, they had questions from the audience. You know, one person raised his hand and goes, if somebody desires to be a pastor or minister of the word, you know, what would you suggest? And, you know, one guy's, you know, well, there's this MacArthur School Seminary and this one, and this one's a good area, you know, and depending on the region you're in, and they're going through these different seminaries, and as I get to Chuck, Chuck goes, well, you know, what I've always found is if you can go over to the, you know, second and third graders in the children's ministry, and if you can, you know, get uh, the ability and be able to go in there and teach, and if you can teach you know, six and seven-year-olds the gospel, you can teach anybody the gospel. So I'd recommend going over to your children's ministry and volunteering if you desire to be a pastor. If you can teach little kids, you can teach anybody. You know, I just love that and that heart and, and very much true many times. You know, and, and you see how a mother pours into a life and that's important. That's ministry. It's, it's not this greatness. You know, if you were to go, wow, God, I want to serve you greatly. I want to be like a Billy Graham or I want to be like this great pastor here in this whole fellowship. You know, I sit back and you talk about looking at the past year and things you don't regret. And, and um, somebody had mentioned, you know, one thing they do is, or they heard, they, they write down all year long, they write down good things that happen. They put them under the Christmas tree. And they open and read back those, through those things that have happened throughout the year. You know, and I, and I kind of was looking back and just things and just deals. And I, I sit there and go, you know, being a mother, you know, being a father. I'm a father to three wonderful kids. Genetically, I get to love them and they're around. But me and Heidi have been father and mother than more than that. We've had people in our house. We have... Uh, three beautiful young girls in our house now where I wake up and I get hugs in the morning. You know, I can't come home, oh, Tim, give me a hug. You know, what a blessing. What a blessing. And we got some more, and that, as those relationships grow and that heart grows and the baby, and I'm holding the little baby who prefers Heidi over me. You know, she just loves her. Like, I get her in my arms. I'm trying to look at her. She's trying to find Heidi or Mona. You know, it's like, oh, man, this one's going to take a little work, you know? And we do that, and we get to have that opportunity. And, and even though one thing we realized first when we have, we've had people in our house, it was hard to let them go. It was hard to watch them go sin or, or fall or, or just leave or whatever, and, and they, they stay there. And it's like, man, I just lost a child. It rips your heart out. You go, man, I don't know if we want to do this again. That was hard. And that person left, and we care about them so much, and, and now there's a distance. For whatever reason, that's hey, hard. I don't know if I can put my heart. God will do it, but I know I'm going to be, you know, i got to keep my heart tight. It needs to be more like a um, business or a friendship transaction. You know, what we learned is, guess what? We're going to love these kids. I'm going to get to love some kids in my house and this stage, and at some point I know mom's going to have to move out. Mom's going to have to get her own place. Time's going to happen. We're not going to see them as often. 
and I'm going to lose some children for a time. And it's going to hurt, <laughs> you know? But why can't I do that? Look at God. He loves me. He loves everybody going to hell. He says he loves the whole world. He paid for the sin of the whole world. And if they reject him, they're going. But the privilege that is, and this is the cool thing, if I'm doing my job right, and if you're doing your job right as a father or mother, you're loving them and you're receiving them. You're receiving that child, but you're receiving them in whose name? In Jesus' name. And you're sharing the love of God with them. It's not me and it's not mine and it's not my right. I get to point these little kids to God. And sometimes they return. Zach returned <laughs> yesterday. You know, and you get to continue that relationship. But, you know, it's not, I'm not going to be the best father. My own children I don't trust. My own children I have to trust to God. Something I learned from my father when he was passing away is letting go and saying, God, I want to, I want, he wanted us, he wanted desperately to trust us with God. And when it was my dad's last and he said, hey, this is it. You need to trust him with me. He was having a hard time letting go. But if you point your children to God, there's a real inheritance. You know how many times the Bible talks about inheritance in the Bible? It's talked about all over the place. As believers, what's, what, what mark can you leave in this world? Not a pyramid, not anything. Anything you can change is what? Being, believing God's going to change you. Let him change you. Let him deal with those sins that would keep you unsafe. My greatest fear as a believer, as a Christian, is being benched because of some sin in my life. I don't want to be taken out of what God wants to do because of something I'm struggling with. God, take it out. And, and then, number two, I don't want a sin in my life that's going to destroy something. You know, the Bible says it's better that a millstone's tied around your neck than you cause somebody to stumble. I don't want to cause somebody to stumble, Lord. You know, one of the things, you know, you, you look at stuff, I look at my brother and stuff, one of the things that caused me to grow up, especially when you have a young couple in your home, is why did I grow up? Why did I, there, why did I grow spiritually? I had no problem when my sin affected me. If I sinned, I messed up and it affected me. <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> when that sin affected Heidi, when that sin started affecting my kids, oh, Lord, change me. I don't want to hurt them. I want to be usable. God, and I want to be great in the way you have me be great. Maybe nobody knows your name, maybe no one else, but you've affected children. Wherever, even those kids, maybe they grow up, there was somebody back, I don't even really remember his name, we stayed at his house, he loved on us. They loved on us, that family, those people. You know, I look at them and go, man, I hope I get to see them when they're older, I hope I get to see them when they have kids. You know, we're always trying to figure out how to legally adopt them so they can't run away. Something, you know. <laughs> I've schemed. No. But you look at those things, and it's amazing to say, and, and Jesus just puts perspective. Hey, this is the perspective. This is perspective. This little child, this, this relationship, just love on them. And if you receive them, you're receiving me. That's my heart. It's not who's going to be greatest. It's suffering and serving and loving on people. What do you have to share? Well, I don't have much, Lord. Really? You know me, you believe in me, you have truth. Life-saving truth, truth that will save you from destruction, from demons, from all this stuff. It's amazing to see as we look through and I, I sit there and go, do I believe this? That's the next question, right? Do I believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. You know, be praying, believing those things. Being willing to be great in God's eyes. How are you great in God's eyes? You wake up and you obey. And, and like I've, I've shared before, and I, I love this, is, you know, every scripture in the Bible I see regarding God's grace is for your past and other people. You do not deserve what you earned. God's grace. Other people, you need to be gracious. You give them what, hey, God's forgiven you, forgive them. You blew it, you've messed up, you're sitting here at New Year's and you're looking back and you're going, ah, I wish I could just forget this year. It was horrible, all these things that happened. That's God's grace. Right now, God calls you to obey. Simply obey. What a, what a weight lifted off. I don't got to worry about the past. All I got to do right now is obey. And for tomorrow and the future, we're called to trust in him. Trust in him. Trust in what he's going to do. You know, what usually prevents us from obeying today is what? I can't obey today, God, because, you know, I'm such a sinner. I blew it so bad yesterday. God goes, trust my grace for that. 
but why should I even bother to begin today? Because tomorrow I'm going to mess up again. No, trust me with the future and just obey today. You know, we just obey today. I love this in verse 49. Two more verses here. It says, I think this kind of just, as, as Jesus shared this, John was convicted, I think, here. It like sparked a memory, right? It says, Now John answered and said to him, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Like, you know, okay, so great in the kingdom, we receive little children. Okay, we're being prideful here. I think maybe they're getting the lesson that, you know, it's not who you're there, you know, and they're thinking, you know, we're the 12, we're with God, you know. We are his disciples. We have this authority. He gave us authority to go out and cast out demons. Who are you, right? Or, or maybe it could just be John ratting all the other guys out because he disagreed. Well, John, you know, a couple days ago, we were telling these other guys, they had to be quiet because they're not part of our group. You know, it, it must have spurred spur- some kind of thought for this to be here, right? But Jesus answered and said, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is our, on our side. And so many times I think we can get so nitpicky over things that don't matter. Where, where we slow down and we forget that. You know, we can, we can look at each other without grace. We can look at each other, not just other fellowships, not just other churches, not just other denominations, but even just each other in the church and go, you know, well, yeah, that God, God's doing that with that person, but, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't really be doing that. You know, you're a new believer. You need to take some time and chill. You don't understand how, you know, I love the fact that, that I mean, it's scary. You've got to admit it's scary. When, you, when somebody's a new believer, they get saved, and they're all excited to share the gospel, and you're listening to them and going like, dude, 95% of your theology is way off in what you just shared. But the person accepts Christ, and they're just joyful. You know what I mean? They don't got all the theology down or nothing. You're like, you know, there's this thing in the scripture that says, you know, a, a new person, you know, be careful of that, and you know, being puffed up and all that thing. And, you know, you're, all the fears of all the th- hard lessons are going to have to learn sometimes. And you see those things, and it, it, it's kind of fearful. But I, what I, I love is you look at the men Jesus had. You look at the fact God used you. And, and many times I think we can get so stuck in our ways because we have it all figured out, we forget God altogether. We don't believe in what he can do. We don't believe it. You know, being raised in the church, I always love it when you get these guys and they're like, I forget one guy I was riding in my truck, and he's just sitting there and goes, yeah. See that tree right there? I said, yes. God made that. Yes. I'm like, I'm like old and moldy, you know. He's just, oh, God made everything. See it? Even that tree God made. You know, and I'm like, yes. So, you know, I've got to love new believers in that. You know, there's just that freshness in there. And, you know, but we sit down and we go, okay, what's important? What's the important thing? Not this theology, that theology. We can get through here and go, you know, split it up and verse by What's there? You get in the whole theology of demons and healing or epilepsy or this or that, all these different opinions. That's not the point of that scripture, is it? Was that point of that scripture to say, hey guys, we need to figure out demon possession and illness? No, the point of that scripture is what? Somehow they were lacking faith in God. Somehow there was some kind of breakdown in their relationship, trusting what God was doing and believing in it. Don't miss the point of it. You know, it doesn't change the scripture at all, but you're fighting over sometimes things that just don't matter at all and it's foolishness you know it's always funny to you know even i don't know i love kids but kids reveal a lot of who i am you know you see your kids they fight over things that don't matter all the time right they're sitting there fighting over all this and this and this it's like the seat in the car you know how many times have you they fight over the seat in the car and it's like guess what you all get there at the same time i mean Oh, and with my driving, the front seat could be worse. No, I mean. <laughs> oh, man, conviction from the, from, is that supposed to go this way? I thought it was supposed to go that No. I guess I need to check my driving. Next time we go to men's conference, Pedro's driving. I'm sitting in the back seat. No, um, so, but it's amazing to see. Let's, let's just believe God, what he's going to do in your life. He has a plan. He wants to blow your socks off. And that plan includes what? What are you believing in? What do you desire to be great? It's going to be suffering and sacrifice. And you're going to have joy in it. And there's going to be blessing in it. Do you believe that? God, help me with my unbelief. doesn't sound necessarily fun if I said, yes, let's believe in God. He's going to do amazing things. 
and you need to take up your cross and follow him, die daily. Wait a minute, I like the first part, Pastor. The second part's kind of scary. Yeah, it's scary, but it's amazing. When God's in control, it's a fun ride. It's like a roller coaster. If you're in control, it's more like you're in a mining shaft on a roller coaster. You don't know where it's going to end. It's freaky. But when you know God's in control, you can just start putting up your hand and going, okay. Did you know such and such said this about you in this trial? And ah, I can't believe this. I might be getting fired. Why? Well, I didn't do anything wrong, but there's this gossip. Okay, put up your hands. Trust God with it. I know that sounds insane, right? That's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We just pray that we can believe not in our version of who you are, but believe who you are, what you did. God, that we would obey you each and every day. That we'd be gracious with those around us. That we would have your heart for those, God. That we would seek after the things lowly of this earth, the things that seem unimportant. God, as a ministry, I just pray you just reveal to us not, not a reputation, not anything else, just those who are lowly, who have no reputation, who are hurting, God. Guide us to those people who just know you, that have a desire to find the lost, God. Those who do, that are just hurting, that are self-destructive, Father, demon-possessed, or just need healing, or those that are just hurting, God, we desire those. I don't care what status in life, rich, poor, or anything, God, just direct us to those. God, we believe you want to work. We believe you love those people and you want to change their lives. Make us safe. Help us not to, to pretend you're dead, Father, but that you are the living God that can take away the sin in our hearts today and forever, God. Change us, make us new. Help us just to believe in you and help us each and every day with our unbelief. God, we thank you so much for your grace. We're excited to see just the amazing things you're going to do this new season, God, regardless of the date and the calendar. In Jesus' name, amen.